Rossi's, Rossi's not pinning. Rossi's not pinning. Rossi's not pinning. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Rossi is 15 seconds in second place. Rossi just needs two and a half miles of fuel. Let me record this! You look stupid now! Yeah, Fact! Lewis Hamilton actually won a Grand Prix. Fact! Alexander Rossi won the Indy 500. These are apparently facts. Welcome to Motorsport 101. More bad news for Indy 500 haters, it was an amazing race. That is an actual fact. <laughs> yes, yes, and welcome to episode 42 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I am your friendly neighbor, Mr. Andre Harrison, and with me as ever, well, he's probably lost the majority of his voice given that AFC Wimbledon are now in League One, but welcome back, Mr. Adam Johnson. AFC we're no i'm giving up <laughs> i sung that too much yesterday <laughs> but um yeah i mean obviously the biggest sporting event of the entire weekend happened on monday and nothing really happened for the rest of the weekend so what are we going to talk about tonight i don't we know man. Are we're going up we are going up yes <laughs> no. oh we, we've also got the sight of john green singing football chants yeah. today is the greatest day <laughs> no we, 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 we're going to talk about adebayo akin was workout regime for the next 90 minutes um, <laughs> and how he invited new managers to hit him up on whatsapp yes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most amazing thing ever you know, if you haven't seen akin was interview after winning the uh, league two playoff final go out of your way to find it it's great also on the show we have mr ryan king hello sir Yes, yes, all hail, President Rossi. The, the, the other one, the, the, the likable one. <laughs> but um, Yeah, we found a Rossi we like now. Yay! <laughs> we, we, the, the, like the yin and the yang. But uh, also on the show, we have another special guest, much requested. We, 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 people have been asking for this one for a little while now, and uh, we got him on the show. He is the host of the season reviews on YouTube. Uh, of Cook Productions 1. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome Chris Cook to the show, everybody. Hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. Uh, hey. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous being on the podcast, but I've just said to myself, just keep on subject and <laughs> make, make a few Judge Winder jokes here and there and you'll be fine. <laughs> You've already made one cock up, so welcome to the team. You're doing well. <laughs> he's, he's, he's right at home, guys. He's right I'm at home. What could possibly go wrong at this point? Chris Cook is on the show. This is an yes. actual fact. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, again... 
You guys have been, you guys have been asking for it for a long time, and uh, yeah, you got your wish. Chris Kick is on the show, and I'm very happy hey. to have him on the show with us. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about Chris and what he does on YouTube in a bit. But uh, before we start, I'd like to uh, address some 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 things that have happened in the last week or so on here, and obviously um, award some thank yous. Um, the, the response to last week's uh, episode um, was incredible, and uh, not so much in terms of plays, but more in terms of actual feedback. And um, we released a preview segment on YouTube about it regarding Sage Karam and uh, the nature of, of mental health in sports last week, and uh, the response was incredible. And um, just want to say thank you for being so open regarding the subject. It, it, it was uh, inspiring and, and, and wonderful to hear so many people open up about experiences that they've gone through in the past like that. And um, being able to relate to things like that is, always makes you feel a little bit better. So for those guys that were willing to share their stories, um, thank you. It was um, very it was very eye-opening for a guy like me who, again, we've made no secret about it. I'm, I'm on the autistic spectrum. I think three of us in this call are on the autistic spectrum. Um, and 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 you know it's it's hard sometimes to 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 still wrap your head around things like that sometimes. But um, those little things do certainly help. So thank you to everybody for that. It was uh, very inspiring um, to read your comments regarding that. Um, speaking of inspiring, we hit ten thousand plays this past Sunday on on the entire SoundCloud library for our. For the podcast and again that's an, that's an unbelievable achievement in just four months we managed to rack up 10,000 plays I did not think that was possible in the slightest the fact we're getting three four five hundred plays an episode is insane I didn't think that was possible I mean I know 300 come from come from Chris but uh, despite that <laughs> like, like fun fact Chris is actually our second most listened to guy I, I checked, I checked yeah. the stats on this the other day <laughs> so, so I, there you I go, do, Chris. Chris is, I, I do love yeah. listening to this podcast. It's it's one of the very few podcasts that I go out of my way to listen to. Ah, oh, Chris. <laughs> and that's why he's on well? the show Am tonight. I doing well? <laughs> yes, you are. You shameless kiss up. Uh, but uh, but uh, again, a, a hearty thank you to to all of you guys for, for listening to getting us to ten thousand plays. That's an unbelievable achievement. Um, and it, it wasn't. It would not be possible without you guys. So many thanks to everyone that's taken the time out to listen over the last year and a half now. It's been an incredible ride. Thanks to all our backers on Patreon. Your funding is, what is, is partly what's made this possible. Very much so. Massive thanks, of course, to Adam, our producer, who's done tremendous work in, in bringing this king, who's been the backbone of our YouTube. Um, and obviously been the backbone of the show, I would argue. He's done 35 episodes of the show with me since, since we started back in, I think it was um, September 20... Uh, September 2015. Hi, Kendra saying goodnight. Hi, Kendra. See you later. Uh, live, live, <laughs> live on the podcast. You, see, you can see I'm, hey. I'm, I'm that much of a multitasker. Um, <laughs> but um, many Great thanks. Family, man. Yeah, also, a few more thanks to Hanout. Zara Daniela, who's done all the artwork for us to this point. She's done tremendous work with that. So massive thanks to her. All our previous co-hosts we've had on the show, that's Gino Vandenbrock, obviously, that's Scott Woodwiss, Sarah Connors, Lewis Sudderby, and Sasha wagon blast all those guys have been on the show in the last year and a half thanks to those guys as well um 
And of course, like I said before, just thanks to everyone else, to you guys for watching. And not only that, but also the day of classics we had on YouTube um, this past Sunday. And that was incredible. Like I was gutted I couldn't be there um, because I, I've watched back almost all seven hours of it. Um, and it was it, it was a, it was a joy to watch. And it, it made me very, very proud that I've got such an incredible set of friends that all were willing to just come on and just enjoy a race together. And the reaction was... <laughs> when Alexander Rossi limps home to win the 500 was uh, it has to be seen to be believed if you haven't seen you'll it you'll have heard it already I'll have put it in the intro of this episode already <laughs> yes yes exactly so if you haven't heard it already go out of your way to find it as well it's, I think it's around the 3 hour 58 mark on part 2 um, it, it, it's hilarious George Mullen's face is just the yes. best thing ever <laughs> it's yeah. glorious that movie Unfriended you know the, the movie the horror movie set on Skype yeah. oh yes he genuinely looks like he's in that movie like he's just seen a slasher <laughs> film unfold he's actually like happy no i like if it's you, like, like you know in cartoons his... where like the if character's ed- jaw just falls Sorry. to the ground <laughs> if you edited his face in when everyone's putting their hand up see that you'd fit right in yeah <laughs> you, re- you really would fit right in and uh, it, 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 it's an incredible reaction and it's exactly what we were aiming for and don't worry there'll be plenty more of these in the future obviously on youtube and uh, as well as uh, for patreon backers as well exclusively so look forward to that in the near future um so again again massive thanks to everybody that watched everybody that took part you guys are fantastic i will be there for the next one hopefully i'm just oh, again i was so good that i couldn't be there it's just yeah you know i, I was in the bookies for eight hours taking bets instead just thinking god i wish i could see all this um but uh you know the nature of the beast but uh yeah again very much and thanks everybody for that let's talk to chris for a minute here and uh, chris Hello, tell everyone. us about yeah let's tell us about what you do on youtube for those that don't know who you are yet hello my name is chris oh, cook i'm but- on youtube i am cook productions one i'm sure there's going to be a link somewhere. it almost sounded like you were starting off like an aa confession there yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm a motorsport YouTuber. Oh, yes, yes. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> go, on, go on, Chris. I um, I make season reviews, as in I uh, I review like races from a certain season. I've done the 1988 season, the 1998 season, 99, 2000. I've done 1989, and I'm nearly done with 1982. In terms of like. Yeah. That's about 70 or 80 episodes that you It doesn't can... sound like there's any particular order that you go no, into these seasons. No, it's like, not like, that one. I'm going chronological of how I made them and rather, not rather, how they were, how they <laughs> played out. <laughs> yeah, something I always wanted to ask, Chris, what gave you the idea to start reviewing F1 seasons? Because it's um, something that you, I think you were the real first guy to really start doing that. It's, I think it's like, I'm not going to bring out any names or anything, but I think it's just like a lack of content in the F1 community in general. And instead of, you know, waiting for someone to come in and, you know, put something new to the play, I thought, well, instead of just waiting for it, I could just do something myself. And I had this idea for well over a year and I did a, a trailer for it where um, Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna did a rap battle, but not many people have seen that. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> they will now after this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they will. They will. If you search up Ayrton Senna Alain Pross rap battle, you'll find the trailer for the season reviews. And that was Wait. done like de- December last year. So it, I, an, an episode wasn't made until... Rap battle? Uh, Johnson's Googling this right four. now. <laughs> yeah, I can hear him. I can hear him. I didn't make an episode until... It's like, a thing. It lives. 
I didn't make an episode until like three, four months ago when I just felt, you know, empty after after <laughs> things that had happened in my life earlier. I just, mm. I, like, I looked back on that video in general and I thought, why haven't I done this yet? And so I start, I was, um, I, I originally planned to do like all the, um, the, the entire 88 season in one video, but I thought as I was making the first episode, I thought, this, this is going to take too long. I might as well just like upload this one. And then I, um, so I uploaded it and uh, a friend saw it. He uh, took the piss of how, uh, how he thought it was going to be crap. And then he watched the episode and he said, this is brilliant. Please make more. And so that's what kept me going. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's wonderful to hear that uh, you found an outlet for you know, what you were going through mm. back then. I mean, that's something that happened to me. It's how I started making videos. It's, it's, that was back in 2007. God, I feel old. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's originally how I started. It just is an outlet for shit school days, essentially. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, uh, Isn't that the same for so many of us? It's like that late teens period where it's like school stroke, college stroke, work is kind of crap. So yeah, here's something that. to kill the downtime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's nice It's nice to hear that yeah, you, you've, you've channeled that into something that's, you know, decent on, mm. out here. You know, you, you just crossed over the 1,000 subscriber mark. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, very, that's concerned. Very, and, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, um, it's like... I, I'm, how I deal with depression and things like that is I like to like laugh. I think, in my opinion, the best way to go through the, to beat depression is to laugh about it and joke about it. And like I portrayed my uh, m my so-called misery at the at the time into those videos, and with that, I managed to mostly beat it. And I I don't think I've been happier in this in this time in my life for a very very long time. That's great to hear. That is so awesome. Like, I, it's it's weird how YouTube is almost like so many people use it as a. It's like escapism, isn't it? Mm. It's almost like you become someone completely different, and somehow, like, the whatever feelings are going on in everyday life, it's almost like you go. But on YouTube, fun. I'm creating great stuff, and things are happening over here. It's like I I started my current channel in 2009 uh, as a way of like there was a community of people who were into NASCAR diecasts mm. and stop motion stuff. And I was like, I, that's fun. I'm going to do that as a way of procrastinating from college work. Um, <laughs> didn't, didn't help me great. Any, no. but it was, <laughs> it's always been really fun since then. So it's all good. Exactly. And, uh, so Chris, uh, what, what future plans have you got for the, for the channel going forward? Any, any, ex any exclusives you want to leak to the podcast? Uh, <laughs> I was talking about you earlier, but I might as well uh, leak this up. I'm uh, going to mm. do a very, very special sort of collaboration with my good friend Matt from Mystery Science Theatre F1. So look out for Ah, uh, yes. We love Matt around here. Yeah. He is, <laughs> in my opinion, the best F1 content creator going at the moment. Agreed. Um, uh, I'll be doing the uh, 2003 season, which is probably my favourite F1 season going. Partly because of my Michael Schumacher bias, partly because it was an actual good season. And that all yes. that stuff <laughs> is, like, bound to be good content. Yeah. Absolutely. Like 2003 was a good year overall for racing. Like, my favourite NASCAR season overall was probably 2003. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a good year all round, really. <laughs> exactly. And uh, 
good lord, I can't wait for Brazil 2003. That's going to be an amazing episode. I've, I've got lots and lots of ideas just floating around in my head about it, and I really just want to put it out onto video. Indeed. Okay. And oh God! I'm, I was just like hearing about Johnson talk about NASCAR for a second about 2003 being good. I'm like, wasn't 2003 the last kart season? I'm like, yeah. Paul Tracy won the championship, and Sebastian oh. Bourdais was rookie of the year. <laughs> oh, good times, man! Good times, good times. But uh, if you haven't seen Chris's work already, I highly recommend you do. I believe it's YouTube.com forward slash CookProd One. I want to say it's, it's, yes. I think it's user then Cook Production. Cook one. Productions one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've only got that because I've got the Center Prost rap battle open here. Yeah, just friggin', <laughs> just friggin' put it in a YouTube search bar. I'm sure you can't miss it. And if you haven't already, check out CP2 as well as other channel because he's a. If you're into your up pop culture things like Robot Wars and Dragon Ball Z, he, mm. he does that. And there's a, there's a little, little bit, a little bit of that. In spare time. Exactly why we've invited him on. He it's like finally yeah. likes Robot Wars. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, he's it, fine by us. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Even we're gonna we get me and Chris together on Robot Wars podcast and just review every single season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like even I get sick of Formula One Sundays, and I use that as a scapegoat <laughs> of the thing that was a scapegoat of my depression at the time. So it's 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 it's, it's all really weird when you put it all into perspective. But it's nice to do something different once in a while. Absolutely. To be fair, I've had the same thing. People can't believe this. Sometimes I'm like, I'm kind of done with NASCAR for the moment. And everyone's like, but you're the NASCAR man. I'm like, I, yeah, but even so, come on. I can't, my whole life can't be about that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So again, if you haven't seen Chris's work, please do. Please go out of your way to do it. He, he's a real good guy. One of the real good guys we have here in this space and uh, an excellent video maker. And I highly recommend you go out of your way to watch him after you listen to this episode, obviously. Yeah. Um, now let's let's cut to the chase here. We're gonna start with the Indy 500, um, and uh, <laughs> I still can't quite believe I'm saying this, but the 100th Indianapolis 500 was won by a rookie from California, um, <laughs> Alexander oh, Rossi limps over the line to win the 100th Indianapolis 500 King, and I think it's fair to say you guys were surprised. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, yes, we were very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just a little bit, <laughs> like a tiny bit. <laughs> totally wasn't yep. screaming my head off. Yes. Totally <laughs> at all. Um, fun fact, as a bookie, I know these things. You could have gotten 200 to 1 odds on, on, on Alexander Rossi winning the 500 before the race started. Um, me personally, I had a pound on Carlos Munoz, and I knew I should have gone each way. God damn it. <laughs> but... <laughs> hey. <laughs> But uh, you, you yeah. thought third time would be the charm, but it wasn't. Yeah. No, nope. no, I was this close. Urgh. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was an incredible Grand Prix. It was an incredible Indy 500. Um, it, it was so full of ups and downs. And if there's one thing I noticed throughout the race, King, these cars were able to run so close. And we had so many lead changes and overtakes as the race went on. Yeah, yeah, we definitely saw it. Like, uh, I wouldn't say that it was, like, they were able to run close perfectly. There was still some, you know, mm. no, it, the arrow push from the dirty air was, was manageable, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But the racing was so close. I know during the early stages of the race, it was, what, a pack of four cars, each basically swapping each other for the lead, basically trying to box out Towns Bell from getting out front. <laughs> 
nobody like it, it was pick on the flat cap day clearly it was it was Ryan Hunter Ray Townsend Bell James Hinchcliffe and Joseph Newgarden that seemed to be the fastest four on track during the first I'd say probably the first entire half of the race I would argue um, it was it was those four that was leading the pack and it was everybody else trying to catch up I think it was Canaan back there a bit of Pagano in that in there we had Helio Castroneves in, in that second pack but it was those four that seemed to be the guys that were piggybacking off each other and setting the early pace and I mean, again, I think there was I think there was something like twenty lead changes in the first half mm. of the race between Hunter Ray and Hinch, and we saw the pit stops go on. And King, like, I was like, I'm going to Johnson on this one. Like, there was chaos in the pits during this race. <laughs> this was not a good time for pit road, was it? I mean, no. whoever thought going too wide in the pits, well, that's not a good idea. Going three wide, that really wasn't a good idea at all. And like, I couldn't believe like <clears throat> it was Will Power that got hit first with a unsafe release penalty. Uh, and then Pagano suffered from one. And then, of course, the moment that knocked uh, Townsend Bell, uh, king of flat caps, out of the running, uh, and Ryan Hunter Ray as well, is when he got an unsafe release into Castroneves, which then turned him round into Hunter Ray. It was, it was an absolute fiasco. It was like, like the pits probably had worse attrition than the rest of the track. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I know Power had a, had a dry free penalty in, in the race, and I'm pretty sure Simon Pagano had one as well. Yep. For, um, for the free for the free wide the tangle that we had as well as uh, the big collision that obviously as a result pretty much ruined the races of Hunter Ray who arguably was the fastest man on track when the, when the accident happened in Townsend Bell who was shocking everybody by being the legit top tier runner pretty much the whole way through I mean that's probably been the biggest surprise except of, except for Rossi winning obviously but yeah but I mean in a bit of eerie foreshadowing hmm. the cars that pitted out of sequence when you know pit lane was not busy at all tended to be the cars that were out in front at the end of the race it's amazing how it all just shakes out that way doesn't it King? it's almost like it was planned or something <laughs> <laughs> but but uh yeah i mean you're absolutely right where that's concerned it seemed to be where pitting off sequence especially late on with that late caution with about i think, I think it, was, it was something like 50 laps to go there was a caution flag I think I think it was I want to say a, it wasn't Michaela Lotion. I think, I think it was Takuma Sato having contact or something like that. Who, who caused that late that late caution of about fifty to go? I think it might have been. Oh gosh, who was it now? Um, I know Buddy. Lazier. It wasn't Buddy Lazier missing a wheel, no. was it? No. <laughs> it might have been actually. It might have been Buddy Lazier actually no, because because Lazier's race was over at lap 100 according to the IndyCar stat so it wasn't him um, than yeah but he also lost about 40 laps at yes, the start that's anyway shout, actually that's a very good shout yeah yeah I forgot that he, he was about 40 laps down and I joked about it when I watched the race this morning I joked by saying it was like oh thanks to Lazier for taking one for the team and bringing out the competition caution like something out of NASCAR <laughs> she's taking one for the team on our benefit clearly but um yeah I mean that's what caused the the two separate strategies where the leaders were, were you know, having to stop again, essentially, um, with each other while drivers like uh, Alexander Rossi uh, and Charlie Kimball had pitted, and J.R. Hildebrand had pitted off sequence, and they came into play right at the end of the final maybe 20 laps to go. We saw it all shake out as, as the leaders had to make their stops right at the end in order to, in order to mostly make the finish. And uh, the one man who didn't, <laughs> well, one of the men that didn't do that and, that and had the fuel to run to the end despite being four laps off sequence was Alexander Rossi and he was literally limping it around the final <laughs> lap. He was right on the fumes, I would argue, because he ran out of fuel 
on the way to victory lane. So that's just yeah. that's just how close it was. And I know he um, actually ran out before he crossed the finish line. He crossed the finish line at fifty miles per hour. Oh wow! So yeah, he was he 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 was out. And, uh, and the funny thing is, pretty much, had he left it any later than he did, or had he run out any earlier, Carlos Munoz probably would have caught him. I mean, it was fifteen. The gap was fifteen seconds at the start of the final lap. It was under five when they came across the line. It was it was four point five seconds over the line. So I think if Rossi runs out of fuel uh, like a mile earlier, he doesn't win this race. He might not even yeah. finish at that point. No, um, so it was so close. It, 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 like they could not have called this. Any any closer that's how close we're talking here like 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 we said rossi was already out when he crossed the line and fingers they had to tell him on the final lap full throttle full throttle because like like they were they weren't sure whether they had enough and they thought sonic we're going too slow minus is going to catch you now so they had to roll the dice it was incredibly <laughs> it was an incredibly tense finish and um can i just say can we give a call to i think it was scott goodyear in the commentary booth for being yeah the most stoic man in the entirety of the I'm impressed. I, I, I was impressed at his professionalism during the whole thing because I was like shit like I'd be freaking out right there and then like has he got enough fuel is he but gonna it, it just sounded like oh I just got vibes of Robbie Gorn in 91 yeah. oh now he's going too slow oh actually he might make it and the rest of us are going oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's why people don't like Stack Scott Goodyear yeah, oh, Jesus. It, it just sounded like he was like a nonplussed man sat on his like lazy boy at home. Just like, oh, I think he might make it. Okay. <laughs> and the rest of us just like, I this is the greatest thing. <laughs> I think he might become the first American rookie to win the 500 since 1982. I mean, for since 1928. No big deal. <laughs> that is a man that's almost too smooth for his own good. It's like me behind a bookie's desk. It's just you know, the smoothest thing imaginable. Uh <laughs> Soft plug, uh, but essentially, I mean, it, it was it was an incredible finish, uh, Alexander Rossi, and many people have, have, have since. Uh, I know my Oscar fan got a bit of this as well. People being cynical towards Rossi's win, saying you know that does a fuel mileage kind of race take away some of the skill of it all. And um, look, man, as as for me, and Johnson, you feel free to chip in on this because I know you've been you've been gagging to to let this one out. Um, for me, it feels like, and, and I think, I think it was uh, it was like Michael Andretti or Brian Herter after the race in the immediate off that said this, um, that said that at Indy everything has to go right for you to win, essentially, and I feel like the team strategies, the strategy teams, and the team strategy department played a blinder on Rossi on this one. It was an incredibly high risk. Hail Mary kind of strategy, but hey, you're a genius if it works, right? <laughs> yeah, and we were all saying with 30 laps to go, someone had to go for it. Like in the, watching it back, uh, I was actually amazed that um, Joseph Newgarden didn't try and make the distance because we heard with 20 laps to go, he was under two laps short. Mm-hmm. And that in t- instead of trying to save fuel, they went the other way. They went, well, you know what? Everyone's going to have to pit one more time, so just go flat out. In the end, Rossi gazumped them all by being the one guy who didn't pit at all. And I was like, surely someone had to go for it. And Rossi literally, with 25 laps to go, I sound like Wheezy from Toy Story 2, yeah. don't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, he was backing it down. He was had everything on lean. Like, this, there is no element of luck in fuel mileage. Like, number one, fuel mileage races aren't boring. No. I've never understood that. The no. tension in the tense. air is absolutely unbelievable. And number two... I don't get why it's lucky. I get the, you know, to be fair, if it's lucky, it's because that person has been the one who's gone, 
Let's gamble. Let's go for this. Let's assume, let's say we've got enough. We've calculated every possibility. We've given ourselves every chance. It may work. It may not. But hey, you know what? No one else took the chance. They did. If it didn't work, hey, whatever. We tried to win the 100th Indy 500. It did work. Exactly. And so, like, I don't want anyone dismissing this as, oh, well, they got lucky. Yes, they made their own luck. Yeah, like... That's like, the long and short of it. Mm, like any call in sports, or like like any sports managerial decision, you look like a genius if you get it right, you look like an idiot if you get it wrong. That's the knife edge you're on sometimes. And, hey, it, you're a genius if it works. And, hey, shout out to Brian Herter and everyone else in that Andretti camp because they pulled an absolute blinder all week long, to be fair. Andretti was strong all week long and they absolutely nailed it on this one and Hunter Ray could have very easily been up there if it wasn't for that collision with Townsend Bell that he suffered his own his own man essentially took him out which is just crazy to even consider but again like we had four legit really fast Andretti cars out here so props where they're concerned they clearly got it right where other guys like Penske clearly struggled which we'll get to in a minute but uh but I know, but I, but I know one of the strengths that Alexander Rossi developed in GP2, which some people call it a weakness, is the fact that he doesn't like to be aggressive. One of the things that got him second place in the GP2 championship behind Safa Van Dorn is that he keeps his nose clean. He he mm. avoids contact when he can. He just his main. Well, goal, isn't that the mark of a really good racing driver? Yeah, like his, really his, good racecraft. Yeah, yeah, his his main goal is get the car to the finish kind of where your finish is I wouldn't say second priority but he always wants to get his car home in one piece very much so very <laughs> much and, and, and that's and that's always and I mean knowing when to pick your battles is a very important thing in life let alone motorsport so uh, yeah I, I can't disagree with that at all um, so yeah Alexander Rossi wins the 100th Indy 500 his spot in history and 2.48 million dollars for winning said race which is a uh, very nice chunk of yeah. change um, yeah he won't yeah. be taking it all home, but it's still going to be a lot. Yeah, and I know, I know his team gets gets a good chunk of that, but that's, I mean, come on now. That's a hefty <laughs> chunk of two and a half million bucks. I, mean, I just love the thought of him, like, considering that one of the reasons he presumably wasn't retained at Manor was because um, he, he didn't really have the money to bring along to the seat, and guys like Harry Anto did. Mm. He could just be like, um, yo, Manor, I heard uh, some mutteries that Rio might be running a bit short uh <laughs> i'm just saying because i just got this pretty fat check in the post so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you know what i am holler at me you know it's, it's, it's gonna be like happy gilmore he says i want a giant check <laughs> i mean manor hopped on rossi winning in an instant they you, you know the posters they designed for every race they designed one for rossi winning the 500 it was a really nice looking poster to be fair yeah. to them but uh yeah absolutely couldn't agree more where that's concerned and all i wanted to jump on before we move on to the rest of the standings here is that isn't it? Like I mentioned this. On, I mentioned this at five in the morning, like this this morning, because I was watching Game Seven of Golden State versus Oklahoma City, and I couldn't sleep afterwards. Uh, <laughs> go me! But essentially, isn't it crazy that Alexander Rossi has had like the greatest face turn in motorsport history after essentially saying earlier this year he was just using IndyCar as a stepping stone to get back into F one, and now he's he he won the friggin' five hundred. Yeah, but I, I admittedly. What, what I've seen is probably a double turn from the fans of each IndyCar and F1, where the IndyCar fans went from kind of not liking him for the Stepping Stone moniker to liking everything he said after he's won and kind of falling in love with him, while the F1 fans sort of are in a position of like, 
when is he coming back now? When is he going to place Rio Harianto now? When it's like, I don't think he's coming back, guys. Calm down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, it's, it's got to the dilemma now. It's like, what would you do in his spot? Because everyone was asking about it. He is still involved with Manor Racing. He's a reserve driver for them. But generally, like, he's now a superstar in, in IndyCar racing. Like, his seat is confirmed over there. He is, he's money over there. He's proven his talent. He's proven his racecraft that he's a capable race winner over there. Does he go back to Manor and not even really, you know, struggle to get a point? Per uh, Grand Prix. And honestly, it's- probably no chance of real improvement either when you consider they have Pascal Verline over there and that's Mercedes guy for the future, which doesn't exactly help. I mean, yeah. and especially considering this, when you have your first go around in F1, mm. even if you manage to go in again, it's just so hard to make it back to, like, it, it comes down to the old question of would you rather be back of the field in F1 or front of the field in IndyCar? And to be honest, he's got more likelihood of being at the front of the field now in IndyCar. Yeah. And... A hero in his home country like why would that not appeal and i think being another strong american in that series can't exactly hurt either. oh exactly um, yeah yeah they they are longing for domestic stars over there not that they somehow don't like the the overseas stars that they have there and there's plenty of them but there has been you know a, a sort of a, a, a yearning for a homegrown superstar in that series for a while that's why people latched on to joseph newgarden and graham rahal a lot last year and Mm. Hey man, Alexander Rossi, an American winning the hundredth Indy Five Hundred. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like reality really is stranger than fiction sometimes, um, and I, that's why we love sport. And finally, moving on real quick, Kirk, what did you make of the races? I know you, I know you're not the biggest IndyCar watcher in yeah. the world, but I know you've made a lot of effort with the Five Hundreds, and now you did a mini series um, reviewing. I think it was five Indy Five Hundreds uh, out there across the years. And uh, what did you make of the race? Because I know you've you've had a lot of extensive time watching a few older ones and a few new ones as well, actually. Well, the, the race itself was all right, I guess, for the most part. Um, I did. There were moments in the day of classics where I had to like pop off to get a drink or go to the toilet. <laughs> I did that a bit too often. But when 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 the last few laps happened and when Rossi um, was starting his first lap and he took the white flag, everyone was like, "He's not pitting. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Is he going to make it?" <laughs> And um, it got to the point where I couldn't even hear the commentator over, like, everyone else. And, um... Well, to be fair, that was probably because Scott Goodyear was kind of talking in a low mumble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we were just kind of screaming a lot. Yeah. And it got, <laughs> like, watching the um, thing back, I like, it's brilliant to, to watch it. Um, like, as Rossi came out the last corner, I just hear myself screaming, Rossi! Rossi! <laughs> <laughs> and, and then two, uh, and then two minutes later getting roasted by friend of the show yes. Sarah Connors yes. for saying that Rossi wouldn't win on Twitter quote from her eat a butt yeah. eat, eat a butt, butt. <laughs> oh that was the most amazing I think it was with about 30 laps to go uh, Chris decided oh hey lol I'm going to be funny and I'm going to tweet Sarah Connors and say Rossi's not going to win call your shot instantly. Cool, call got, your shot call your shot he got instantly and then what was the funniest thing was as soon as the screaming and the celebrations died down after the checkered flag fell you just hear King go well you look stupid now don't you (laughs) (laughs) and then just all of us just go immediately on Twitter and just retweet the shit out of that tweet like Chris we're not going to let you forget this no we're never going to let you live this down Kurt ever not in a million years like (laughs) even if I delete the tweet it will still be there in like in everyone's minds I'm screen grabbing it right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. Do that for goodness sake. Like, show everyone how stupid even I can be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, overall, I 
think at worst a very very good 500 so let, let's run down the finishing order and tell some stories as well about some of the guys in the field we didn't talk about so much alexander rossi wins just a, almost three hours to the second for the for the finishing time 124 points because it's a double point round at the 500 so 124 points for alexander yeah, just, just let me run down all the little milestones alexander rossi set Go on. he's the first American-born rookie to win the Indy 500 since Louis Meyer in 1928. He's wow. the first oh. Californian to win the Indy 500 since Bob Swert in um, 1955. Mm-hmm. He's the first rookie to win the 500 since uh, Elio Castroneves in 2001. And yeah, and he's the fifth. He's the fifth driver to win Rookie of the Year and also the 500 in the same 500, and he's the ninth rookie overall to win the 500. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit of history made by Mr. Rossi there on that one. So like I said, 124 points he gets for winning the 500. I'm not sure the exact scoring system on that one. I know it's double points. It's 100 for the win. I think it's something for, for laps led as well. And, and well, yeah, points for qualifying. Points for qualifying as well. So I'll get to some of that as well. Carlos Munoz... <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard not to feel bad for him yeah. at this point because I think, I think they said during the broadcast I think this is the third time he's finished in, he's finished in the top five like yeah, Munoz seems second. to love this place yeah and it's three 500 he, no and it's four 500s he's finished rookie season qualified second finished second uh, second year he finished fourth third year last year he finished 20th and this year he finished second again Yep, second again. Just a, just again. He was four points. He's like the new Tony Kanaan. Yeah, it's yeah. like he's finished four seconds off the win. And hey, if that race is one lap longer, Munoz wins most likely. It doesn't even have to be that. It's a quarter of a lap longer. Yeah. I think he yeah, wins it. It's, if the race was five hundred and one miles, he would. He would have most likely have won. But. Uh, Maybe another year for Cars, but he still gets a very nice 115 points for second I mean, place. He, he said himself he was shell-shocked, and if, when they cut to him in, in his car in, on Lane, he was crying in the car. He, he was devastated. Mm. Like, this shows you just how much this race meant to people. Like, it wasn't just the Indy 500, one of the biggest races in the world. It was the 100th. There's going to be 50 years before another Indy 500 that's this significant is yeah, going to come around. This, this is one of the biggest motorsport races ever. And Munoz came second by literally a mile. Um, it's just one of those unfortunate things. But, I mean, as a see, that could be a season saver for Carlos Munoz because he's, he's had a rough time of it this season um, in, a, in the Andretti camp. And, hey, a, 115 points and now into the top 10 of the championship overall is a very nice result there for Carlos Munoz. Shout out to Joseph Newgarden. Mm-hmm. Third. He was very strong all race long, all week long for Newgarden. And he's really up there again. And again, showing that Newgarden might be one of the best young all-rounders in the series. He finished in third, um, was in the lead in pack almost the entirety of the Grand Prix. Again, 111 points for Newgarden, which is very, very nice indeed. And actually now puts him, uh, I believe now, yeah, fourth overall in the championship standings. So again, we'll get to this championship in a minute. But uh, Newgarden, again in their third, very strong result from him. Tony Kanaan, who was kind of in the mix a little bit here and there again, a lot, a lot like last year where we, before we lost it with too much oversteer, but Kanaan in there once again, the wily veteran in fourth with 81 points there. Charlie Kimball, out of nowhere, <laughs> out of literally nothing, Kimball sneaks a fifth place. It, it, it kind of happened last year where Kimball finished third, but it's happened again where Kimball, who yeah. seemingly was nowhere, did not lead a single, he's the highest placed finisher that didn't lead a lap of the Grand Prix at some point. Yeah, like, and then Charlie with 10 laps to go, suddenly Chuck 
Charlie Kimball out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, like Charlie Kimball's like the secret Ganassi. Everyone forgets that he's a thing until he shows up out of nowhere. Yep, it must be all the insulin. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Kimball. Kimball with 78 points in fifth place. He'll very gladly take that indeed. Again, another one of those out of nowhere results. Yeah. J.R. Hildebrand in sixth place. Um, avenging the 2011 race, which nobody ever talks about, ever. Wait, <sighs> wait, let me just take a drink. Yep, sorry, yeah. my bad. From a- another <sighs> time, J.R. Hildebrand finishes behind the 98 car. No! Oh, 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 oh. Nice. Stop it, King! You're killing him, King. That, that's so mean. But uh, Hildebrand, I think, I think he'll be very happy overall with that sixth place finish. And uh, shout out to James Hinchcliffe, ladies and gentlemen. After we all saw the miracle of him being mm. on pole, and, and you know what? It wasn't a fluke. He was very strong all race long. Was very unlucky to have lost out towards the end. Now I think, I think he said that it was the sun that caused a lot of his oversteer problems. The, the, the temperature of the track. Was what caused some of it. Just kind of didn't quite keep up with the racetrack in the end. Yeah, yeah. in the end. But he still, he, I think, again, if you he, if he, if he would have offered him a pole position and a seventh place finish a year ago, I think he would have gladly taken that. Um, if you'd offered him the ability to drive a race car again a year ago, I think he would have taken that. <laughs> yes, given that he was pretty much dead a year ago. But uh, he, only one man led more laps in the race than James Hinchcliffe did. And he, he finished in seventh place. Scott Dixon in eighth. Sebastian Borde, again out of nowhere, in ninth. Will power rounding off the top 10. Helio Castro Neves was strong in the second half of the race, but uh, a little bit of an incident with him. Uh, some contact later on uh, hurt his overall race. He finished yeah, he in 11th, apparently. Apparently, Helio was pissed after the race. We didn't see it on the broadcast, but uh, he was not best pleased. Oriol Servia in 12th. Marco Andretti, who seemingly struggled quite strong towards the end of the race, uh, finished in 13th ahead of uh, Mr. Sultan Sheikh himself, Mr. Graham Rahal in 14th place. Andretti um, strikes again. Yeah, Andretti just strikes again. <laughs> to Andretti, but Rahal in 14th place. Amazingly, he went in the whole three hours without complaining about something. Uh, Max Chilton in 15th place. Uh, I think he's top Brit, isn't he? Yeah, top Brit, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Chilton. 15th yeah, place. Brit. Second yep. best rookie. Second best rookie. I think he'll take that. Good result from Chilton. Hawksworth in 16th place ahead of Alex Tagliani in 17th. who had 11 laps. Pippa Mann, ladies and gentlemen, in 18th hey. place. Her best ever finish at the 500 and raising over $70,000 towards the Susan G. Conan uh, breast cancer charity. So congratulations to Pippa where that's concerned. Great result from her and the team and Dale Coyne. Ahead of championship leader Simon Pagano <laughs> in in 19th place, amazingly. And, um, running off the field, we've got Gabby Chavez in 20th. Townsend Bell, who was very strong, again, all week long. One of the real surprises of the weekend was Townsend Bell in 21st place, getting the accident there where he tagged Hunter Ray in the pits as well, ultimately yeah. costing two laps and his race. Matt Brabham. lunatic out there all weekend. Yeah, he was incredible this weekend. No, not incredible, as in, like, stupidly aggressive for no reason. Incredible. <laughs> That is not incredible. <laughs> Sage Karen would disagree, sir. Yeah, because it's, it's essentially he took out Sage Karen where he, he, he jerked over to the right during the turn one incident and poor Karen had to had to very violently shake his wheel like, to get away from it. And next thing you know, Karen's in the wall. Uh, poor guy. Like, like, to be generally honest, like at the start of the race, I was like, I hope Townsend Bell wins this. As the race continued, I'm like, Townsend Bell's driving like he already won this thing. This is not good. I hope he does not win this. <laughs> it was almost like it I just I don't know what it was. I think what was quite hilarious is the odd occasion when the um 
the ESPN commentators had to mention that he worked for the rival station NBCSN. I thought that was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite funny in its own right. But uh, as a result, I am now burning all my flat caps. Um, Matt Brabham in twenty second, <laughs> Brian Clawson in twenty third, ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray, who was again he led more laps than any other man, fifty two of them mm. during the race. Hunter Ray was incredibly strong, but again was on, on the unlucky side of that pit lane what? accident. Can, can we also mention how Clausen at during the race cho- elected not to pit so he would lead the race at some point? <laughs> Just because he can. Get get that marketing money, Clausen. Get that money. <laughs> yeah, Brian Clausen in 23rd there. Mentioned ahead, uh, Hunter Ray in 24th. Spencer Piggott in 25th out of Takuma Sato. Michaela Lotion, who hit the wall. Stefan Wilson, who had a retirement due to electrical problems. Connor Daly, who just cannot catch a break around here, <laughs> uh, was caught up in the uh, he was caught up in the accident with Michaela Lotion. Um, some debris caught under his wing, and his car was out. Unfortunately, Connor Daly just cannot catch a break somewhere. Cook is figuring up his next five Derek Daly jokes for the for the future of his video series. Yeah. <laughs> most, most likely, Buddy Lazier in thirtieth, who was about fifty laps down when his wheel fell off in the pits. The thing that just kind of summed up his race more than anything else. Ed Carpenter who had mechanical problems all race long. Sage Karen, who was very unfortunately taken out by a very aggressive Townsend Bell for no reason. But hey, he led two laps, so good for Sage. Uh, wonderful to see him back in the car again. And Juan Pablo Montoya, who spun with too much oversteer and lost it. And uh, looking at the championship, it makes for very interesting reading now. Simon Pagano still leads by 67 points over Scott Dixon in second. But Helio Castroneves is now third on 224. Then it's Joseph Newgarden with 211. And James Hinchcliffe is in the top five Yay. with 205 points. And that was even more incredible. I think Rossi is... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Guess who's our sixth in points? <laughs> Alexander Rossi is in sixth place with 203 because he got 124 from this race. Um, and he also got 10th place at the Indy uh, Grand Prix earlier exactly. this month. Exactly. So, yeah. Rossi's, Rossi's legit right now. He's by a landslide the best rookie right now. He's on 203 ahead of Munoz on 199, TK on 192, Kimball with 189. Again, out of nowhere, Kimball's just up there because it's, it's Charlie Kimball. <laughs> Montoya now is on 187. The Penske's are not, are not looking in good shape so far now apart from Helio and Pat obviously they've got, they got Pagano they got Helio up there but uh, the two guys you probably thought were going to be up there Montoya and Power are not uh, Monty on 187 Power who was not really in the contention at any point really in 10th in, uh, in overall he finished he's on 178 and Graham Rahal on 173 so yeah I mean that just about wraps up what was a crazy Indy 500 week. Um, <laughs> again, go out of your way to see. It's well worth the three hours of your time if you haven't already. And uh, I just want to say a big shout out and, and big thanks to Sarah Connors, who her yeah. picture we're letting you loses the thumbnail for the episode. And she is the world's biggest Alexander Rossi fan without question. And so uh, Sunday was pretty good for her. You think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a shout out. You, to- you may have already. Shout outs to Sarah Connors. Yeah, go on, go on. For making me eat a butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's it, it it's glorious. Yeah. In, in I think the massive amounts of Twitter humble pie was suffice yeah. for now. Yes, essentially, it's uh, the pictures of her getting to celebrate on Victory Lane. It, uh, that's pretty crazy in its own right. So shout out to Sarah. I mean, that must have been an incredible weekend, and we'll, we'll get her back to talk about that as soon as we can because I think she's on a massive road trip right now, just doing all the IndyCar things right now. But uh, yeah, that's Indy 500, everybody. And uh, apparently, there was something else that went on during on Sunday as well. There was apparently there was a Grand Prix at Monaco. Apparently, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe something happened. You know, Hamilton. I guess uh, there was some world rally cross at Lyndon Hill. Uh, I think that happened. There was some race in, uh, in Germany. I yeah. think happened as well. Yeah. The Nürburgring, I think. And, uh, yeah, some, some people drove around the town quite quickly. Mm. Yes, and uh, for the first time, as it also, it's, it's quite crazy to say this, for the first time in 10 races, Lewis Hamilton wins a Grand Prix, and his first Monaco Grand Prix win since 2008, which was, again, I mean, eight years ago, was since the last time Hamilton won at Monaco. He's always kind of seen this place as an Achilles heel. He's not quite been able to get it together around here, but... Uh, King, that was up there, one of his very best. Yeah, fantastic run. Like, once you say, like, it's been that long, like, I'm thinking, wait, this show wasn't in its current iteration the last time Lewis Hamilton won a Grand Prix. That, I can't... <laughs> <laughs> I've been through an entire reboot in the time since he's won a race. That's, that, that's crazy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, his last win was Cota, and that was November last year. So you're absolutely right. It was literally... A, a six-month dry spell without a Hamilton win, but uh, it doesn't feel like that, but that's just how it kind of turned out, and uh, it was an incredible drive from Lewis getting 40, I think something like 45 laps out of the Ultrasoft tyre in the crossover conditions, and uh, Hamilton taking his win, and just like that, I mean, Adam, we've got a championship again here by the looks of it. Shocker. Well, we, we, we should have known that it wouldn't be as simple as it looked after the opening five races or so. I always knew... I think we all figured that it would not be a runaway, especially with Hamilton and Rosberg as closely matched as they always have been. But uh, for some reason, Rosberg was completely off his game in this race. No one really understood. Uh, I don't think we ever did get to the bottom of why he was just not at the races. Um, and Hamilton really was. This was a stellar drive. Uh, of course, I mean, <laughs> you want to say Alexander Rossi got lucky. Technically, Hamilton did as well. Yeah. Fluke. But uh, hey, he, he drove the, the best race he could. And on such a track where passing is at a premium, as you know, mm-hmm. he not only drove well to get the lead and take it when the circumstances came aboard, he also drove pretty well defensively, pushed right to the limit certain times. But he, you know, you, you can't really say definitively. I mean, this is the Hamilton we know. He is the one who pushes aggressiveness right to the limits in terms Absolutely. of his race, um, in terms of his racecraft. So a very, very fine performance, especially considering the, the state of the conditions, which fluctuated pretty wildly throughout the race. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And I know Johnson, what Johnson's referencing, and that was the um, Ricardo attacking hard after after the pit stop and Ricardo having a go at, during, um, going down towards it was an overall chicane and Hamilton did not get a good run off the chicane and, uh, Hamilton very nearly goes full Michael Schumacher and runs Ricardo into the wall on the, on the way to the back. And, uh, King, is it just me that finds it strange and ironic that, you know, two weeks after Rosberg very nearly does the same to Hamilton, that Hamilton pretty much throws the same car that Ricardo? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Nothing else to say about that. <laughs> I mean, okay. For once, the stewards were actually consistent. If you're not going to punish Rosberg for what happened in Spain, then you're probably better off not doing anything for Hamilton in this instance too. But let's be real here. That was a 
bit shitty from Hamilton on that one, wouldn't you say, Cook? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I probably would. Um, my my memory is hazy of the Grand Prix, considering the Indy 500 was the spotlight. So do bear with yes. me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, yeah, uh, but like I I I respect the decision of the stewards for being consistent and not you know give uh, punishing Hamilton. And even if it even if they did, I I wouldn't be too like you know worked up about it because I, I like despite what might uh go on on twitter i'm i don't hate hamilton really what <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's wait whoa, 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 whoa. pause hang on like shut everything down for a second you mean you're playing a character to a degree in those what? videos Yep, it's true. Dun, dun, dun. It's true. It's true. Marin on YouTube isn't entirely sincere about intentions. Shock. <laughs> fact. <laughs> yeah, that is an absolute fact. <laughs> Who turned cooking to Matthew Santoro? Uh. But, uh... <laughs> uh. We will explain why we're saying fact constantly at the end, folks. Yes, 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 we are. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. But, it's because uh... we can't mention it because we're on Judge Rinder. Oh, no. Uh. no. <laughs> We're going there. But uh, speaking of Daniel Ricciardo, I mean, Ricciardo set that scintillating qualifying time to get on pole position, his first career pole position, uh, which, again, is kind of crazy to say, given the, the up-and-down nature of Ricciardo's career. He's never actually been on pole, but, again, nature of the era, I guess, more than anything else. But uh, Ricciardo scored his first pole position. The odds on him winning the race got slashed, for, I think, from he was 9-1 to one when the weekend started to being 13-8 to eight when the race actually took off. Um, and, again, we, thought, we all thought him being on the super soft meant that, you know, he could just park the bus and essentially have complete control of the race before the rain came down but even so i mean it looked like it was going to be ricardo's to lose until <sighs> a a pit stop error from red bull i mean for those of us that don't know and kravitz did a very good job of explaining this in his notebook after the race had finished um there is no pit wall at monaco in case you haven't noticed um not like any other race where you get the pit wall on the opposite side of the pit lane um there is no pit wall at monaco because of how thin the track is so the pit wall is actually upstairs in the booth above where the garage of the crew is and Apparently, there was some kind of technical glitch where when they had the pit stop ready to go for Ricardo, they did not have the tyres set out. And what would normally be a, let's say, two and a half to three and a half second stop ended up being a 13 second stop. And that's ultimately what robbed Ricardo of the win. Mm. And um, King, I mean, he was pissed after this race. You could see the frustration on Ricardo's face. And this is coming from a guy that is obviously very jovial, very happy-go-lucky, known for his smile. That was the first time that Ricardo, in a Shawn Michaels-esque moment, lost his smile. And it yeah. uh, wasn't pretty. Yeah, and it, it seemed like... It seemed like... All, the entire nation of Australia was going through, like, a multi-21 flashback where it's like, oh, they're letting the, you know, young superstar kid get the better of our, you know, next-door neighbor Australian guy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it it wasn't it wasn't ideal in in, in any stretch of the imagination. That um, Ricardo again, like I said before, Ricardo is an incredible. Um, and he was an incredible driver, and uh, he's an, he, we all know his personality, where he, he, he's very happy-go-lucky, he's very positive, looks looks at looks on the bright side of things a lot. But 
<laughs> can you really? That was the, but the thing is, you can under, you can understand yeah. his disappointment because oh, yeah. my, this is the most basic of just. I've never, I have never, have you, have any of you ever seen a scenario where a guy's pulled into the pits and gone, all right, well, I want my pit stop now. And the crew guys can sort of look at each other going, um, Dave, where did you say you left the tyres? Did, did you tell him to come in? We haven't got the tyres ready for you. And Dan's going, it reminds me. Uh, give me tyres, please. It reminds me of, um, I think it was 2007 or 2006, where I think the Super Aguri team didn't even realise their car was in the pits. And they, they, they looked over and they started running up and trying to get the tyres on the car. I have, uh, like, it legitimately was yeah. like that meme. You know that Mark Webber gif where he's, it was from his one of his WEC races with Porsche, where oh, he's just yes. sat in the garage and suddenly he throws yeah. his headphones down yeah. and runs into the back to get to Like, can you... Yeah. Can, Blame Ricardo for being so angry. Like he was, he got pole. He had the race effectively yeah, won. He, yeah, he got, the, oh, he got an incredible pole time in a, a, a subjectively uncompetitive car. Got fu- like it's probably one of the fastest times to ever go around Monaco. Dominated the race for about halfway through, and until that moment, everything was just you know sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, and in an alternate universe, you could very easily make the argument that Ricardo should have won the last two Grand Prix, um, where Ricardo was the fastest man in Spain when after that was the implication he made post race. Yeah, and again, Ricardo again, he had this one in the bag without question. He, won- I believe, his exact words after the race, he said, "That's two races in a row. My crew have screwed me out." Yeah, um, it's it's not a good look. And like, as as Cook said, it, it was the fastest ever lap of the modern iteration of Monaco, one thirteen point six. But uh, yeah, it was it was it, it was all coming up roses until it didn't. And yeah. uh, like, certain a, a certain betting company, and I can't help, I can't help but bring this story. I mean, King brought <laughs> to my attention. It's a hilarious story. Um, Sportsbet is a is a betting company in Australia and uh, they sent out an email um, to its to its uh, followers and uh, on its mailing list regarding this Grand Prix and uh, it is absolutely hilarious I will now read it in its entirety what a load of red bullshit <laughs> because <laughs> Aussie legend Daniel Ricciardo was on his way to his fourth Formula 1 victory in Monaco overnight before he was sabotaged by his own team <laughs> 32 laps into the famous French race, the Red Bull team completely stuffed Ricardo's pit change. Like, I, I love how they use the word stuff. That's proper Australian, that I, is. I, I love how they said that Monaco's in France. <laughs> <laughs> Aussies don't give a shit. It's, I think it's hilarious. They're that blinded with range, geography doesn't matter at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, Co- costing the Aussie precious seconds and eventually the checkered flag to British twerp Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. Well, we're not having it. <laughs> because we've refunded bets placed on Daniel Ricciardo to win the Monaco Grand Prix. The justice refund means over $79,000 has been returned to sports bet punters who backed the Aussie for victory. Yes, the Aussies, Aussie's number one betting company gave back $76,000 worth of losing bets because they felt like Ricardo got screwed that badly. That is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. It, 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 it like, it's like betting it shouldn't involve risk. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> The, the Aussies clearly felt with their hearts over their heads. But and, and one of these stories that uh, 
downforce radio have been going with over the last couple of days has been the fact that they reckon that Ricardo might be going to Ferrari out of frustration at Red Bull's current oh. couple of cars. Oh, but wasn't Nico Rosberg going to Ferrari a couple of Grand Prix ago? Give over. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's all it's, it's all horseshit to me. It really is. I think it's just like it's, it's blatant. It's blatantly, you know. Let's let's try and start a story because you know, I said this on Twitter after. I was like, hey, props to those guys for for making the Ricardo rumors because we all know that the one solution to going to going to a Ferrari be going to an even more incompetent team like Ferrari as opposed to leaving Red Bull right now so of course damn let's let's send to Ferrari where he's most likely to going to be even more frustrated no, let's be honest, can we just leave the so-and-so to Ferrari rumours to some random fan site in Italy? Isn't that what they normally do? Especially it's normally some given, site in Italy. Yeah, especially given that Ricardo has actually been quite good. Like, sorry, like, Reckon has actually been pretty decent this season for the most part. So He was second in points coming into Monaco. Mm. Yeah, and I think he's still third even after yeah. this result happened. So, you know, Raikkonen has been solid for what it's been, what it's been worth this year. So, you know, you can't argue with a guy that gets your points. So, yeah, I'm not biting into that crap at all quite frankly um also we've got to give a mention to Sergio Perez who once again (laughs) has Nickelodeon like no like I I just like Sergio Perez must have supernatural powers because no one has this tendency of nicking a podium more than Sergio Perez this is his sixth career podium in a field where he's never had anything better than a top five car at best you know I've also just checked Twitter he was also voted dry Driver of the day. Yeah, he got the driver of the day vote as well. He was very complimentary about that. Just, but, to, uh, know, just to know, this is his third podium since he's left McLaren. In that same time, McLaren has scored two podiums. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. King, King throwing that shade, even though McLaren have actually had their best weekend since their Honda partnership with Alonso to be honest. in fifth and button ninth. To be honest, I'd argue more that, you know, he was throwing the fact shade. Yes. It was fact. Fact. Sergio Perez is the ultimate opportunist. Fact. Start playing the Metal English by uh, by Alter Bridge. Uh, Essentially. (laughs) But uh, Sergio Perez, a brilliant third place from him. Again, got out in front of Sebastian Vettel and kept it there. Great job from, from him in the Force India again. And King... Is it time we should, we should we start talking about Perez and top tier seats again? Because people have, have played that angle after this Grand Prix, and people are asking what's it going to take. Like, is Perez like the new Hulkenberg now? <laughs> I mean, yes, but it, again, it's the talk of like, yeah, he's going to move to a top tier team. I don't see any seats in the top tier team, but he's just going to move there magically somehow. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem. It's almost like the talent in F1 is backing up to a degree. Like, Hulkenberg's problem was that, like, it, it, filled, it felt worse for Hulkenberg because seats did become available mm-hmm. and then were filled by others. And it was like, well, as I, I've said it before, the Maldonado to Lotus in 2014 one was the one that really, you just sort of thought, well, if <laughs> that's it, it's all gone. And hindsight being 2020, it was probably the best thing Hulkenberg ever did not actually get in that seat in the end because we all know Lotus were diabolical in 2014. But that yeah. was really a sort of, wow, okay, it's not going to happen, is it? And I think part of him was sort of like, he, he almost acknowledged that to a degree by looking for chances elsewhere. And he went to Le Mans and won the thing like, well, you know what? I'm going to make a career for myself. I'm not going to wait around for a top team in F1 to give me a seat. Um, when the right combination of talent, opportunity, timing and money turns up. So yeah. um, also conveniently I think before- what counts. Oh, go on. 
Yeah, conveniently before the race, like Sergio Perez has said, basically, he would give the 500 to try if the opportunity presented itself. That'd be good. That'd be Ooh. awesome. I'd love that. I'm all for that. Like, I bet Alex Rossi was on the phone afterwards. He's like, yeah, what were you saying about giving the Indy 500 to go? What's I can what? recommend it to you, mate. It's, it's really good fun. <laughs> what, what, what a swap. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, Perez, great job. Driver of the day and on the podium in third place. Edda Sebastian Vettel in fourth. Who, like, has anyone noticed that Sebastian Vettel's now pretty much been on autopilot since the season's begun in terms of these, pro- these, like, these, these quotes and press conference shit? Because... Vettel just seems to be just saying the same things after every race about how the things just have not quite come together. And fourth really wasn't a terrible result for him in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, King, it's another disappointing Ferrari result given Raikkonen essentially drove over his front wing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what, Vettel went to Ferrari for a challenge, a new opportunity at a title, and for some reason Ferrari still believe that they still have a shot at winning the title still? Where it's like their their aspirations clearly don't match what's happening on track, and the problem the uh, sorry continue sorry yeah it, it clearly doesn't match what ha- what's happening on track, and it doesn't seem like things are changing. It actually it feels like things are getting worse. It feels like Ferrari have kind of they're almost I call it the Rosberg syndrome from last year and and I've talked about this before the whole idea of just not being able to capitalize when your biggest rivals have an off day and Ferrari really have not had that like last year if Mercedes even slipped up the tiniest amount Ferrari were on them and that's how they got their wins Mm -hmm. um you know throughout the year and this year you know they had a golden opportunity in space I mean like literally it was like mercedes just crashed in front of them the goal was open it was like one of those like how did he, how did he miss that compilations you know you must see them on youtube if he just somehow misses an open goal mm-hmm. like that surely should have been that should have been the day for like a ferrari one two in their case they should have locked that one down taken as many points back off mercedes and at monaco i, I don't know if they ever had the the edge pace wise but at any point Mercedes have shown invulnerability or have shown to be a little bit if they've shown their soft underbelly which apparently they have uh, Ferrari have just not been able to take advantage and it must be so frustrating for those guys and that's probably explains why Ricardo was so frustrated as well you know Mercedes are such an all-conquering team and are the dominant team right now them slipping up or you getting an advantage on them is so incredibly rare Mm. those opportunities don't come round very often so to to gaff it in such a way must be so frustrating. You know, and what's incredible? Yeah, it's okay. Go on, go on. You know, like Sebastian Vettel was frustrated when, it, like, during after his qualifying lap, he actually said on the team radio that the car is just worse than it was. And like, yeah, like there, there, there are some people who say, "Oh, he, oh, he's much happier than he in Ferrari than he was in Red Bull." But like, even no, he is. He, he was much, much like these last few races. He's been incredibly frustrated. Indeed, I mean, and you can't really blame him again. Yeah, exactly. Vettel, you could make the argument. He's, he's, he's another guy that could have left two wins on the table um, if things had gone uh, away. And again, as, as mentioned as well, 
Mercedes have not been bulletproof this year. No. Far from it. Like Mercedes, really have, Mercedes have probably left more wins on the table this year than any of the previous two um, seasons where they've been before. Like Mercs have been legitimately vulnerable this year, and this like mean, Ricardo out qualified. And that was the first time I think in this hybrid era where they've legitimately been out qualified in you know in dry conditions like that. And again, that was an open goal for Ricardo to win, and it just didn't happen. And Mercs have got- the only other time that ever happened was Singapore last year potentially yeah. Yeah, well Merckx was just legitimately just straight up bad and again Merck, they had a good reason for that in Singapore they, they were shredding their own tyres essentially um, but yeah I mean nature of it Merckx have been sloppy this year but again nature of Merckx they've got away with it for the most part so Hamilton takes the win ahead of Ricardo and Perez Vettel fourth Alonso fifth place matching his best finish for, them, for McLaren since since his return a mere one minute and 25 off the win uh, Nico Hulkenberg in sixth who actually beat his fellow namesake Mr. Rosberg on the final lap over the yeah. line a spectacular final as someone who likes Hulkenberg and Force India it was a very good day yes <laughs> <laughs> one of I think Force India's second best weekend since they've had those two there only Bahrain I think Bahrain 2014 was a better weekend for Force India as an overall team so Hulkenberg stealing sixth place under Nico Rosberg's grasp and King before we move on what did you make of Rosberg actually following team waters and letting Hamilton through. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I think I have to see how the season progresses. Like it's good on his part, but apparently there's an agreement. If you know, there's a mechanical issue with your car that you're expected to move over to team says to, and hope, like, I hope if the situation is reversed later in the season, that Hamilton repays the favor. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see if that happens. If Hungry 2014 is anything to go by, then uh, that, that might be interesting. Nico Rosberg struggled all race long, finished limped home in seventh place. He's the last man on the lead lap uh, ahead of Carlos Sainz. Great result for Carlos Sainz in eighth place. Another really good performance from him in the Toro Rosso. Ahead of Jensen Button in ninth, he was very frustrated. He felt like there was more on the table there for McLaren and made a bad call on the side, which is something you don't expect from Jensen Button, given that he's, he tends to be the king of changing conditions but uh, not so much today ahead of Felipe Massa in 10th um, Esteban Gutierrez which um, in 11th place his best result in Formula 1 since 2013 um, in 11th ahead of Valtteri Bottas in 12th for Romain Grosjean in 13th Pascal Verlein originally was was I think in 13th but was dropped to 14th after 20 seconds worth of time penalties uh, 10, play, 10 second time penalty for ignoring blue flags and another 10 second penalty for driving too quickly under the virtual safety car whoops um, Rio Harianto in 15th and a lot of accidents further on <laughs> I've just seen this in the standings Marcus Ericsson and Felipe Raza how hilarious was that accident at Raskas oh my god it was like I can do what Jill Bianchi did as well oh no I can't <laughs> <laughs> I think what happened was was that Felipe Nasser was in front. He was given the team order to let Ericsson through. Nasser refused to, to, to pull over for him. So Ericsson thought, fuck it, I'm going to dive one minute at Raskas. Didn't work. No. Both cars no. end up retiring. Creation. And uh, yeah, like, like 
Sauber's had a really, really bad season. And, like, Ericsson's actually been one of the very small positives about that camp. And what does he do? He ruins all his goodwill within the team by driving into his teammate's side pod. Whoops. <laughs> not, a, not a good weekend for Sauber. It's just, like, it's just compounding the misery at the moment more than anything else. Poor guy. Max Verstappen. Oh, oh dear. Uh, the, oh, oh, how quickly the hype train derails after winning in Spain. Uh, hitting the wall not once but twice um this was the day that the cult of verstappen came back down to earth mm. yeah with a bang or two essentially after his retirement there kevin magnuson retired due to collision damage daniel kvyat had an electrical problem and i just want to reach out and hug kvyat at this point the poor guy could <laughs> not catch a break he's had a, he had an awful time of it uh, since his return to toro rosso and uh, another electrical failure toro rosso's retirements due to uh, mechanical problems seem to continue and uh I, I remember Kvyat's radio message saying, and I quote, why does this always happen to me? Uh, it's just, just go, oh, poor Daniel. Just having, the, just having the season from hell right now. Uh, like, I feel like he and, like, like I feel like he and Kyle Larson just, should just go and have a beer together. Like, I mean, it's not even that directly comparable because Kyle Larson has just had a season of, being so close to wins and then something happens and then he doesn't win. And to be honest, Martin Truex Jr. was having a very similar season until he basically utterly laid the beat down on the Coke 600 and was like, nothing's stopping me from winning this race unless one of you motherfuckers has a Stinger missile. You ain't stopping me this time. But yeah, it's like, it's almost like Kvyat, we all wanted something great to happen to him after being demoted to Toro Rosso and it's just gone completely the other way. Indeed. It's like this, it just doesn't get any worse. In, indeed. It's been it's been miserable for Kivia and I hope I hope his luck picks up soon. The guy deserves a break and he just hasn't got it. The other two retirements, Kimi Raikkonen, who drove over his throwing off the hit in the Wardley Lowe's hairpin, and Jolian Palmer, who lost it in a straight line. He is so done in this town. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the internet was waiting for a Pastor Maldonado replacement. I'm, I hate to say it, I think they've made their mind up, oh rightly or wrongly. Yeah, um, like, uh, should, should we re- begin the countdown to Ocon? Like, yeah, like I'm just throwing that out there. And it, it's worth, the Ocon buzzards are circling, aren't they? It's worth noting, Johnson, that in Zara's second ever thumbnail for episode 27, K-Mag and the Delta Wings, the two other guys on that poster is Marcus Ericsson and Jolien Palmer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Zara, you're a fucking psychic. <laughs> Just a thought. Um, the championship standings as it goes, Nico Rosberg has a 24-point lead now over Lewis Hamilton. Um, so everyone that said that Hamilton was not going to win the title, mostly the salty Scottish camp, can all line yeah. up in a, in a row and <laughs> Jamaican arse, quite frankly. Um it's just like that Hamilton's within a race again. You guys could all kiss my ass, all of you. Who you know was what? even saying that except for the most staunch of Hamilton haters? You just answered your own question. Uh, Rosberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, silly question. Rosberg up by 24. Daniel Ricciardo now third with 66 points ahead of Kimi Raikkonen on 61 and Sebastian Vettel on 60. On the constructor standpoint, no change in the top four. Mercedes up by 67 points ahead of Ferrari on 121. Red Bull now only nine points behind, though, in third with 112. Williams in fourth with 66. And now jumping up two spots, Force India now back in the top five with 37. So, uh, so, yeah, Force India still uh, digging themselves out of a hole by the looks of it, uh, slowly but surely. Right. Now, 
we've had the fun stuff. Now the not so fun stuff regarding some other stuff happened this weekend. Yes. Unbelievable, I know. Regarding some Formula One news, and uh, it's it's not positive. First up, the Jules Bianchi camp, and uh, it doesn't stop being painful talking about this. And um, a couple of days, I think it was actually the Thursday of, of practice where it came out. Um, all the major F1 outlets reporting that uh, Jules Bianchi's family is suing the Formula One group, and, and his former team, Mauritia. Um, and the FIA. And the FIA, yep, sorry. I, missed, I, mean, I, knew, I knew I was missing one of the three. So he's the F1 group, the FIA, and the, the, his former team, Mauritia, for claiming that Bianchi's uh, death was avoidable. And, um, yeah, this is going to get ugly. And if, if, in fact, I can argue it already is ugly, as it is that they've come out publicly and saying, yeah, we're suing them. We're suing everybody. We want, we want money and compensation for uh, Bianchi's death. And, uh, it, again, it, it, it's not easy to talk about this in the slightest. It's an awful thing, and it's only going to be more awful now. We're, we're cross-examining a, a, the death of a 25-year-old. And, um, I mean, King, where do you even go from here? I mean, this is... Uh, this is ugly. Yeah, I, I guess I might as well read the quotes from his father mm. and the lawyer. Feel free. Yeah, Philippe Bianchi said on the family's behalf that we seek justice for Jules. We want to establish the truth about the decisions that led to our son's crash at the Japanese Grand Prix in 2014. As a family, we have so many unanswered questions that so many unanswered questions and feel that Jules's accident and death could have been avoided if a series of mistakes had not been made. And their lawyer also continued to say that basically Jules's death was avoidable. The FIA panel inquiry report into his incident made numerous recommendations to improve safety but failed to identify the errors that have been made which led to Jules's death. Oh man. Oh boy. Now this reminds me a lot, before we continue, this reminds me a lot of the situation with uh, Tony Stewart and the family of Kevin Ward Jr., who is the driver that he unfortunately struck and uh, killed at a sprint car race back in 2014. Everyone involved, uh, all neutral parties, uh, basically came to the conclusion that it was an absolutely tragic accident, mm-hmm. but the family would not let the case go. They have, they've tried right. to bring legal proceedings. They tried to bring a lawsuit in as well. And it's you feel so sorry because there cannot be any worse pain in the world than losing uh, a son or a daughter of yeah. yours. You, your own flesh and blood, your own your own as, you know offspring. Like go in on. terms of emotional trauma, it's incredibly hard to let go. And even if it mm. means, you know, just not suing anybody it's just incredibly hard to to like you know think things logically over like uh-huh. really 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 tough emotions yes and again i still can't even begin to imagine what that family has gone through in the last two and a half years now there's last couple of years since that accident and it's i i can't criticize the family for doing this they have every right to sue if they, if they genuinely feel like there's been an injustice they have every right to do this and i mean I was, hell you know people must have thought that the people behind the uh, the campaign for justice at hillsborough might have yeah. had a hopeless case for a long time some people might have been cynical about that they stuck to their guns the, yes. we never know more details may emerge out of this yes and i don't i don't know like to be honest 
the the report is extensive. It's yes, what three hundred ninety yeah. plus pages, and the members of the panel are probably the probably represent the sport as a whole. Like yeah. I can run down the members: Ross Braun, mm-hmm. Stefano Domenicali, president of the Single Seater Commission, Everson Fittipaldi, who's president of the FIA Drivers Commission, Eduardo De Freitas, he's he's race director of the WEC. They had a uh, Dr. Jared Isner. He's probably the most respected steward there is. He's he was permanent. He's been permanent DTM race steward since 2006, and he served as an F1 race steward since 2010. Alexander Wirtz, president of GPA, GT. I mean GPDA. These people were members of the panel who assembled this report. If if they were trying to whitewash this, something is fundamentally wrong with the sport. And that would be even worse, but it's so highly unlikely that they were trying to cover up something. I, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, no, I, I think in this case it's fairly hmm. cut and dry. Uh, I, it just feels too much to me like a, a family just struggling. Yeah, to, this, to get past this, this. This seems like the family seeking closure more than anything else, and. I was just I was just about to get onto the report, which which is what King referenced a minute ago. It was an extensive report that was released after after his accident. And again, these aren't clowns that wrote this thing. These these are some of the most respected and revered people in motorsport that have written this report. And if they've been that extensive and they've gone to so much detail, I'm most likely going to believe what they said. And for me, as a fan, and I, and again, I I take no pleasure in saying this at all, but. It seems like it was just a series of unfortunate events. I mean, it was an incredibly wet Japanese Grand Prix. There was double-waved yellows on that part of the track where there was still recovering Sutil's car who had crashed the lap prior. And the report says, and I am inclined to agree with the statement, that Bianchi didn't slow down enough in, in that part of the track. And as Sergio Perez quite rightly said after said accidents, racing drivers can't be trusted. They're always going to take any liberty they can find. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, I mean, people forget, double wave yellows means slow down and be prepared to stop. That's, that's, that's what double yellows are in the rule book. And, of course, no one's going to do that in a Grand Prix, especially when it when, when the rain is coming down and you're looking for every... Visibility's bad, yeah. grip is bad. You're looking for every advantage you can have. And uh, I know the Bianchi family have blamed the, the fact the race was not stopped. And, you know, obviously talking about the fact the race was in, was in tsunami-like conditions where there was a tsunami coming over Suzuka in, or was in the vicinity during the race. But, I mean, it's... For me, I have to be honest, I don't think the family has much of a case on this one. And if this is their way of speaking closure... It comes out that we haven't heard until now, and that doesn't look likely. I think I have to agree. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's sad because, again, there's nothing... This is a lose-lose for everybody. Nobody wants to see this in a courtroom. Nobody wants, you know, to see this go on. I think we all... Are, I think many, many fans, I think, are still mourning his loss. And we saw a beautiful tribute on the back of Romain Grosjean's helmet at Monaco this weekend with the, with the Bianchi 17 you know, in, in mark of his point-scoring performance here in 2014. And you know we still we are talking about still talking about a very beloved figure in Formula One and a, a guy that many people respected and it's not easy talking about him in this circumstance but uh, 
Ugh, it's 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 ugly, and it's probably only going to get uglier before it gets better. But I can all I can say is that I hope the Bianchi family seeks closure for what's happened to their son in one way or another. And if this is their way of doing it, then more power to them. And I wish them the best of luck going forward. But as deep down as a, as a Formula One aspiring pundit, you know, fan, whatever you want to call me, I I can't see this being being resolved in a positive light for the family or how they want it to to end at least that's how i see it and um but again i say like i say good luck to them and i wish them the best going forward as always and uh of course my, my thoughts continue to go out to the bianchi family again this can't be easy for them in the slightest um to have to deal with not only the the, the loss of a, of, of, a, of a son a family member but also now the ugly law side of it all as they take their battle to court but uh I wish there was a I wish there was a bright and cheery follow up to this story, but unfortunately, well, just, I mean, I have one thing I'd like to add to this. Where it's okay. kind of a bit bright and cheery, like just flipping through the report real fast, where it seems like the recommendations did actually make an effect. Like the number one thing that the FIA list on the website was that they wanted to have a new regulation for double yellow flags by imposing a speed limit wherever there were double yellow flags. Of course, that didn't happen, but the virtual safety car came into existence because it's fantastic mm. yeah and it was basically it was great for last weekend when you know a massive plastic bag descended onto the racetrack yep and, <laughs> and we had Julian palmer's accident early on in monaco and it was very quickly taken care of because of a virtual safety car we didn't need to get the full safety car out and i think the vsc has been a fantastic creation for formula one i think it solved a lot of problems it's actually pioneered a lot over in WEC, but yeah. I think what's great about this is, you know, the, the best thing you can do coming out of such a tragic situation is it as long as, you know, lessons are learned and as long as developments are made, then it's not entirely gone to waste. Like a life has not entirely gone to waste. You know what I mean? Indeed. Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if the other recommendations went into effect. Like number two was a review of safety critical software and measures mm -hmm. on the car to check their integrity. Because one of the things that was a factor in his accident is when Jules tried to engage the fail safe on his Marussia, it did not engage. The fail safe literally failed. Yeah, that's that's not good for Marussia's camp at all. So. Again, if we can take lessons from this, and I've said it before, I think we should definitely be proactive when it comes to safety. Speaking of which, it's been confirmed in this past weekend the 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 Halo will be a thing in F1 in 2017. It's, be, it's, it's been dubbed as the Halo 2. That will be a thing in Formula 1 for next season, and the season after in 2018, it looks like the FIA is going to go on board with Red Bull's aero screen design for 2018 and uh king well we know it's official now it's, it's going to be a thing and um yeah i mean again it, it, this is a very interesting time in formula one and uh we've talked about this at length before on the show about the, na the nature of the halo you know the the the, the pros and cons the the nature of formula one as a sport and the impact where that's concerned but uh i mean what do you make of this going forward? I mean, a lot of people like 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 Johnson has pointed out that he feels like this may have been rushed a little bit. I mean, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, reading the report where basically uh, they're going to start testing they're going to start testing the new version next month, and it's not going to be made of steel like the original Halo. It's going to be made of titanium, and it hopefully 
it will, you know, be an improvement. I, like, personally, I don't feel like it's necessary, but whatever the whatever the FIA and the drivers want will mm. be implemented. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, safety, I'm all up for, you know, Halos. And I, I haven't really had much of a say on Halos as it happened, but, like... I think the only reason, well, one of the main reasons why people don't like the Halo, especially those who are only F1 fans and not fans of any other sort of motorsport, is that it's not the original Halo wasn't aesthetically pleasing, and also yeah. the also the like mentality of oh, F1 should have the, this sort of danger malarkey. It's like that mentality is still there in mm-hmm. in fans and. Um, and drivers. and drivers that's the big exactly. thing that's the thing that we, i've said this all along the, the, the thing we can't well the thing we can't comprehend as as observers to the sport this is ultimately why we're not doing it ourselves is that for a lot of people involved in the sport it's the rush of adrenaline which comes from potential risk to a part degree we can't get our head around the fact that they actually like the fact there's or some of them actually kind of like the fact there is a part of danger to this like i i always recall back to sebastian Bordet's comments uh, at the Indy 500 practice, uh, it was last year actually, um, when he said, "Why are you guys?" He he told the press room, "Why did when did you start assuming that this was entirely safe? Mm-hmm. When did you start being shocked when these guys had big accidents? We're d- we're doing incredibly high speeds. We're pushing the limits for what man and machine can do. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like, I think it's very easy to 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 kind of go all in on." It has to be safety at all costs. But I think there's a difference between pursuing that route and pursuing the route of if we can avoid stuff that really should be avoided, yeah, well, then it, uh, that's doable. I can, I can understand drivers saying those things, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, fans who, are, who don't drive, who don't do sim racing or anything like that, who are speaking on behalf of drivers who actually race these cars at high yeah, speed. Yeah, no, that's not so great. No. Yeah, that's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you think that's absolute bullshit. And I mean, the, it, it's it's similar to the, the discussions that everyone was ranting about during the first seven laps of Monaco, where they had this, where the race was started under a safety car, which obviously means the the, the full field is locked onto full wet. And by the time the race had started, it was borderline intermediate conditions, and people were saying, "Well, what's the point of the full wet tire?" And you know, what's the point of this and that? And again, that was justified about seconds later when Julian Palmer lost it in a straight line mm. and put it in the wall. I mean, it's. The safety discussion is one that will never go away, and I think the reason for that is it's. it's I, I compare it to the famous quote, "How long is a piece of string?" and you're never going to please everybody on something no. like this. And, and as, as Cook quite rightly says, like some fans genuinely believe in the sexy side of the danger of of, of motorsport and in Formula One, and I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't acknowledge that as a thing. It, it's it's very yeah. much a thing. Yeah. I've seen many fans have this same kind of expression and nature where they believe that oh it's always it's just health and safety gone mad, and you know it's that kind of mentality is you know obviously that's your right, and if that's what you believe, then more power to you, but. You're never going to get it all your own way on this, no. and I've said no. it before. I think I think that in Formula One, we're willing to put up with a lot of shit, and I think we will pull up with this as well. I mean, people moaned about the engine noise of the hybrids, and then we all we all got over it by the time we we were three races in. We've gotten over the tire conservation nature of Formula One because we realised, oh shit, the sport's always been like this. So, you know, can I point out though? I know you you said 
uh, add an opposition to this. I would like to explain. My opposition is not from a yourself and safety gone mad or something like that. Mm-hmm. My opposition, my, my kind of objection um, to this introduction of the Halo device is that it feels to me, and this whole process, this entire year of the FIA making a huge deal about cockpit safety and making a big thing about how it's a massive thing and we need to get in as soon as possible and now we're going to introduce the Halo because the Red Bull thing isn't ready yet so we need something in there. It's like, it really strikes me as kind of excessive tokenism like that someone and that these people are determined to look like they are doing something and it feels to me i mean they have been testing methods of cockpit protection since 2011 behind closed doors why is it only now that we're hearing so much about it and yet some of these devices still feel like they've kind of come out of nowhere and still need testing it seems rather bizarre to me and if if this report basically says oh we're going to introduce the halo device next year because the Red Bull device, which we actually prefer and is actually better, isn't ready yet. Well, why don't we... Hang on. You've admitted that the Red Bull Aero screen device is the one you prefer. Why not focus on that one? It, it kind of seems very strange to me. It kind of feels like we need just something, anything in place now. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not entirely comfortable with that, but... Sure, that's where you're coming from. You know, like, I, I, I prefer the Aero screen as a solution because I feel like... You know, the Halo is still, it's kind of narrowing the target, if you will. It's still, you know, smaller pieces of debris are still vulnerable. You still, you know, is it going to protect from, you know, impacts with a, a car? Lat- Who knows? But the area screen to me feels like generally a lot more parties have a consensus that that's the one to go for going forward. So I don't really understand why we're going with the Halo when even the people bringing it in admit that it's not the best solution on the table. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Like, I mean, I, I see it similar to Johnson. Like, if I had to make, like, a comparison, I'd be like, if there's, like, a massive puddle in the road and a pair of power lines go down into the puddle and someone dies walking into the puddle, it seems like everyone's trying to, like, give everyone... Ru- like, we need to come up with a way to give everyone rubber boots so they can walk through the puddle. When, like, the easier solution would be, like, just take the power lines out of the puddle and we don't need to try to give every single person rubber boots. Uh, are you basically going along the lines of what IndyCar have done this year with tethering their parts of their car, the, the race car together, so you don't get as much of an issue with flying debris? Basically, because we end up, like, F1 ends up, you know, in situations where they put their drivers in danger. Now they feel like we need to protect our drivers more. So it, it doesn't seem to make sense. Indeed, and uh, let, let the debate rumble on with this one. And I, I do agree with Johnson in the sense of, well, if you know that the solution is better, then the Halo seems even more like a stopgap solution, and that's probably the one thing you'd want to avoid with something as drastic as this is a change, both visually and from a safety perspective, where, you know, if the error screen is ready now, then why not implement it now? And if it isn't, why are we having the halo as a go-between in the middle? It just it just seems weird to me. But uh, and finally, and uh, I wish I had a more positive and finally story this week, but unfortunately, I have the complete opposite of that. And I was debating whether I even wanted to talk about this on the show, um, but I feel like it's an important story, and I feel like it's something that. I think needs to be addressed. I think uh, a, a friend of the show, Sarah Connors, would agree with me here. 
it should be signal boosted because it's the kind of thing where we shouldn't be letting people like this get away with things like this. And I feel like it's something that's worth talking about. And it happened last week and it happened with respected Formula One journalist, Adam Cooper. And it was a tweet from a F1 fan on Twitter um, called Ride I. Um, shout out to her for being such being incredibly brave in um, talking about this openly and you know leaving yourself to the full exposure of the internet here. When we, when we all know the internet is a cruel and unfickle mistress, as it is. But uh, I mean, she posted multiple screenshots of back and forth emails between her and Adam and. Uh, Obviously, Adam Cooper, not obviously our beloved Adam on the show, of course. But um, I was going to say, keep me out yeah. of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's bad enough if you have the same name as um, that Sunderland guy. Don't, don't. <laughs> but, I'm uh, still trying to repair the damage for Adam Johnson's worldwide. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's not exactly ideal to begin with, but um, it seems that in these screenshots. Adam is incredibly forward in them to the point where you could make the argument it's sexual harassment in instead emails and it's very shady and very creepy. It, it's it it it's I think at best you can say it's uncomfortable reading, um, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, this uh, I have to make this very clear. This 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 is allegedly what's happened. I'm not saying a hundred percent that this is true, but if it is. And I'm, if I'm honest, I'm leaning very much towards it being true. This is a pretty despicable thing to happen. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's no- the thing that it reminded me of mostly uh, when it when it broke that the vibe I got from it was of the uh, string of um, sexual abuse and harassment allegations that went around the YouTube community a few years back. Do you remember that? I, yes. I can't remember some of the exact names that were like Sam Pepper, people like that yeah, who yeah. were. You know, all sorts of allegations were thrown up about them. And it really kind of struck me. Uh, it kind of felt from a sort of similar vibe of a almost, you know, and these, you know, it's very important to stress that these uh, are allegations at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Cooper himself has not responded to any of these. Nope. Probably, you know, understandably so if he doesn't feel like he has to. Uh, but if the, if it keeps going, then, you know, if if I mean, there's a couple of ways you look at this. This is a lot of evidence. If you find the tweets with it and, you know, you find the Tumblr post with it, that's a lot of stuff in there. That would be a lot of effort to fake. Yes. For what gain? Yeah. There is yeah. also on the other side, I've also, I remember hearing a story, this was from a completely different case many years ago, um, of, you know, if someone accused you of some sort of unthinkable crime or, or something as as kind of sinister as this, you would be absolutely if you're innocent you'd be absolutely furious and you'd be telling everyone what on earth i am innocent this is disgraceful who would how dare you accuse me of this yeah um i i mean i don't know as i say it 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 doesn't look great as it stands we have to be careful with our language though that nothing is for certain agreed but this is to, to me it kind of you know the vibe of it initially uh from what i'm getting of what i've seen uh, is it? It feels to me like, as I say, similar vibes to that uh, to the YouTube uh, sexual harassment scandal yeah. that we had several years back, and, uh, where it, someone has abused their power and their position mm-hmm. and their influence in uh, the community or in the motorsport world. Uh, so, and, even, and, it, and you know, and this coming off the back of um, NASCAR journalist Jeff Gluck uh, did an article on something completely different. It was about uh, a, a a lower level journalist making 
constant rumours about uh, Kevin Harvick switching teams to Hendrick next season. And, you know, time and time again, the rumour kept being put out. And in the end, Kevin Harvick signed a new contract with his current team. And, you know, it basically caused a lot of controversy around the NASCAR garage area because, hey, it painted journalists in a really crappy light mm-hmm. uh, and it made it caused uh, disharmony between the drivers themselves. You know, Kevin Harvick had to go over to Casey Kane, who was the guy who was it, it, his car was the one that Kevin Harvick was rumored to be moving to. And he said, look, I have no idea where these rumors have come from. It's some nonsense media. But basically the point of it all was that Jeff Gluck made this, had this opinion piece where he said, you know what? Stuff like this really damages journalists credibility. And at the end of the day, that's all a good journalist has their credibility. If you don't trust what they've got to say, why on earth would you hire them? So he was talking about just in terms of false rumors. And then this comes up like, it, it when a journalist's credibility and their integrity is all they've got this it's what else can you say as i say it's it's difficult to know what to say especially as it is still up in the air it's it, 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 it reminds me a lot of the story earlier this year with toby turner aka tabascus who um had those same accusations in in his corner from his ex-girlfriend and We've all seen the, the drama resound from that, and obviously many people have chimed in with their own opinions on that as time has gone on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Johnson hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, we make no secret, three of us at least on this show, or the three of us, the three regulars on this show, we all want to get into this space. We all want, you know, in a perfect world, to be out there covering Formula One every week like Adam Cooper has done for the last... 20 30 years basically where they can go to every grand prix they can talk to the drivers they can they can have these insults they're respected for their opinions they you know they have massive twitter followings out there they you know they 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 have a finger on the pulse and they have they can influence people and we i think we often take for granted the power uh, we can have as journalists and people with that have opinions and people that can put this stuff out there on the internet and i I see it every day to an agree with, with, with the more contrarian nature of journalism with guys like Piers Morgan, Skip Bayless, Katie Hopkins, where they can just say these awful, homophobic, racist, every bigoted, you know, checkbox you can think of where they can say these things and influence people because they represent, you know, scumbaggy people. And this is yeah. this is in the same ballpark for me in terms of, you know, taking advantage of a fan that's willing to do you a favor where you feel like oh let's try and get in their bed and you know let's 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 harass them over it because you know we're willing to meet in the middle halfway essentially on something like this and it it sickens me to my my stomach that this is this this is happening in this space in 2016 i know i know friend of the show sarah connors has just talked about this on twitter extensively and in in the hockey space because obviously she's a huge huge hockey fan and Often, the editor of a very large hockey blog. Yep, Stanley. Shout out to, to, to the guys at Stanley Cup of Chowder. It's a great blog for hockey, um, and she's talked about it extensively. Where female fans are so badly treated in what is seen as a male-dominated sport and base, um, and this is 
again, like it's a it, it was it was a reality check for me because often you you want to pr- promote motorsport in a positive light. You want to see things positively. You want to tell your friends about how great the industry can be, and then stories like this come out and you go, "Well, fuck!" That's 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 just made us all look terrible now because. One guy has completely abused his position as a journalist and gone out of his way to harass somebody over the internet, and that's it's awful. It's awful. It's a lose lose for everybody, and it disgusts me. And again, I, I will repeat this: it's a, it's allegations, but I've got to be honest. In my heart of hearts, I think this is true, and I feel that this is just. And I, you know what makes this really sad? This will get pushed under the rug and it will be forgotten about in a month's time mm. and we'll completely forget about it. And Cooper will still keep all his credibility. He's, he will not be held accountable for what's happened, uh, except from a small handful of fans that are knowledgeable and have good memories and will remember this. And I think that's that's ultimately what we're asking for, isn't it? Yes. Accountability. We always want to hear, mm. you know, if I mean, if this is not true, Let's let's have the let's have the evidence and let's find it. We'll we'll believe it if the evidence is there. But right now it's sitting there, and the the, the evidence as it stands does not look very good at all. And uh, I would implore all of you to have a look at the actual the original tweet. It's a pinned tweet. Uh, the account uh, for Ray is at uh, re- ah, I'm going to completely crap the pronunciation up. So I'm just going to literally go spell it out for you. R e i d e m a i at that. There's the Twitter account, and also her. Um, uh, she's got a Tumblr account at romeorosso.tumblr.com. That it's also posted on there. Yep. There's screen grabs of a lot of stuff on there, and as I say, you think it's a lot of effort to fake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like this is something that may or may not develop. It, it deserves to. It, it doesn't. It, it shouldn't be left to lie. If it yes. if it's if it's not a story, if it is some sort of elaborate hoax then let's let's see the counter argument as i say if if i was accused of something like this and it was false i'd be furious and i'd be telling everyone i'd be shouting as loud as i yeah. possibly could that this is false yeah. yes so uh, the, the the difficult nature of this is that because cooper has pled the fifth when it comes to this story it's let people jump to their own conclusions and all i will say is we've said the links draw your own conclusions and I'd like to think that people that listen to this show are intelligent people that can form their own opinions. Mm. Have your own opinion and, you know, talk about it. And, and, you know, it's up to you. Make your own conclusions about it. I mean, that's, that's human, you're human beings. That's your right. And again, it, I, I hate to, to end this podcast on a negative note because it's been an incredible weekend of motorsport, but unfortunately, the nature of these things there every ying there is a yang and sometimes there's there's some shit you got to deal with and this is that shit but i will end this show on a positive note and by by again by, by saying if you haven't checked chris's chris's show out already on youtube again please do cook productions one it's fantastic work and I, I i have every i have every confidence that 2003 is going to be amazing chris you're welcome back anytime my man thank you for coming on for us no you, you've been tremendous that's a fact. Ah, yes. um, that, that is indeed a fact. But before we Is this go, where we deploy the and finally? Yeah, the and finally. I mean, Top Gear came back on the air on BBC Two this past this past. Can I just point out? I, I hate to be one of those guys, but if you ch- change channel from the Indy Five Hundred to watch the new Top Gear, 
I can't help you. I didn't have a and choice. I'm so in sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was the funniest thing. We all we all absolutely jumped on Dre on Twitter when he was like, "Oh, the new Top Gear's all right," and we we're like, "You're watching that over the Indy 500." He went, "I'm at work. The TV is on BBC Two. I don't have a choice." Yeah, exactly. That's what didn't, it was. But didn't uh, someone ruin the Indy 500 result for you? Yeah, it was Fitcher yeah, on Twitter. He's a complete wank. <laughs> <laughs> you blocked him immediately. To be fair, though, are you hoping to avoid spoilers on Twitter? I was only in my mentions column. I did not look at my actual timeline. So oh, I, no. I, okay, no, words, fair enough. The only way I could have, yeah. I could have had it spoiled was if somebody tweeted yeah. me the results, the fact, which is what he did. That someone went out of their way to tell you the results of the biggest race of the weekend is piss take. <laughs> to say Absolute that. bellendering. Quite, quite frankly, I wouldn't. Chris is, Chris is just enjoying the fact that someone made a bigger numpty of yeah. themselves on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, right now I wouldn't piss on Fitcher if he was on fire after that one. But uh, <laughs> oh. Um, oh my but, God. damn! But uh, what do we make of Top Gear? Real quick. I haven't I'm watched it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Quite honestly, with you. I haven't watched um, it. Wow. I'm the only one here that's watched it. I've got. Yeah. Which is quite entertaining considering that Chris Evans has been spending all day ranting on Twitter about viewing figures. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I've been. It's. it's, it's, Sorry. Go on, go on. Go on, Chris. Go on, Chris. Chris. I've been told that all the main criticisms are that Matt is really good and Chris is really annoying in Top Gear. And that sounds very familiar. Yes. <laughs> that, also, that is also backed up by his Twitter. <laughs> That's, so That's tremendous. Um, okay. Here's how I look at it. And this is my, this is just my take on the situation. And I, I've spoken a little bit about it. Top gear, top take. Yeah, top gear, top take. Um, it was okay. It was an okay episode. Um, I'm inclined to agree with what most people say. And I think Matt LeBlanc is a pretty solid host. I think he, I think he is a natural. I think he's uh, got just the right level of smoothness, but also the right level of humor. And he's got good comedic timing. And I think LeBlanc, you know, I think a bit of the Friends, Joey-esque like, vibe of Friends comes off with LeBlanc. And I think, he's a, I think he's a solid host. I think he'll be a good guy going forward. I think Evans was trying too hard. And I, 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 you could see he meant well. You could see that he, yeah, he's. It's not like Evans is a bad host. He did, he did TGI Fridays for years, and he was good at it. And like he can do live television. And the problem is, I think Evans just comes across as a guy that has taken so much shit. Not necessarily, you know, it's his fault. He's taken so much shit for the for the, the revival of Top Gear, which again is not his fault in the slightest. He was given a job and he accepted it with honor, and you know he's going to. Well, I think the difficulty yeah. was it wasn't exactly with honor, was it? It was mere weeks after he said he'd never do it out of respect to yes. the other guys. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, he thought, oh well, how big's the paycheck? Well, I'm sold. Uh, it was the classic thing. Oh no, I'm never going to do it. I'm 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 too much honorable. Oh. That, that, that's a rather large check you've just given. Um, how much? How much does honor cost these days? I think uh, that much. Yeah, and Evans has been incredibly defensive of the show's pretty poor ratings of episode episode one. I mean, he got he got he got four point four million viewers overnight. Now, depending on the perspective, 
Top Gear. Actually, Trey, you are, according to his Twitter, you are incorrect because here are the facts. Yeah. <laughs> Top Gear orders grew throughout the hour. Fact. One its slot. Fact. Still number one on iSpace Player. Fact. <laughs> These are the facts, folks. And do you know what's funny? I'm just quoting from Chris Evans' Twitter. Yeah. That's you cannot write this shit. Top Gear Series 1, Episode 23. Catch it again tonight, 7 p.m. BBC 2. That's when it's on. Fact. And every yeah. time I say fact, it's in caps. It's yeah, just yeah. hilarious. He just sounds like a sort of middle-aged man ranting about politics on Facebook. Get off my lawn, basically. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, yes. It, it included, it included the fact that the, the iPlayers had 1.2 million views on iPlayer as well, which you know, if, if you if you want to throw that in. The, in he even the, used the phrase "top gear haters." Was he going to use that gif now? That meme, haters gonna hate. Yeah, it's like <laughs> he's going to come out with a pair of them sunglasses yeah. from Reddit. <laughs> Let's be this way, right? Top Gear's Top Gear's last special was the Patagonia special Argentina, and that did seven point two million viewers. Top Gear last night did four point four million. There's no yes. getting there's no getting around it. There's about two million people out there that looked at this reboot and thought, you know what? I'm not gonna go there. No matter what way you slice it, it's not a good sign. And it's a shame well, because the thing is as well, yeah. um, What's also interesting is that I love the fact he's trying to claim that the first episode of a brand new series and a brand new reboot has got high ratings. Of course it is. That everyone was tuning in out of curiosity to go, well, how's this going to work out then? Exactly. You know so, what? And as you said, next week's episode is going to be the real indicator of um, of just, the ratings going forward. Just how many of those 4.4 million will stick around for episode two? Because again, I think you're absolutely right. I think people watched out of curiosity and I feel that you know, I, the reaction's not been positive. There's there's okay. no way of getting around it. From what I've seen on the buzz on Twitter, from what I've seen, it's been mediocre at best to negative. And I feel like the episode itself was okay. Like, I think Chris Evans was a solid host, but I think he's, I think he's trying too hard. He's trying to get the crowd on side. He's, he's shouting all the time. When, when he, well, that's how he is normally. I've heard a lot of complaints for his breakfast yeah. show on Radio 2 for a very similar reason. Yeah, like, I think he's he is obnoxious when it comes to shouting and trying to be that guy. That I think that kind of anarchic energy works in cer- certain circumstances, mainly when the platform's geared to him, yeah, particularly when he's coming in after another shouty, fairly obnoxious yeah. bloke who kind of define the show as his own, Yeah, and then it, that's just going to be an issue, really. And it, and it doesn't help that, essentially, the format of the show is almost exactly the same, just with presenters that people are not going to like almost inevitably as much as Clarkson happened in May. There's no getting around that. I mean, again, I liked a lot of the, the, the tweaks to the format. You know, the star in a rallycross car, I think is actually quite a good That's idea. a great call. I think that's a great call. I think, you know, they had Gordon Ramsay on there, who was, who was entertaining. Jesse Eisenberg was actually pretty darn good on there as well. It's in credit to him. And again, I liked the subtle format changes. So it looks like the studio looks nice. Extra gear with Chris Harris looked, was, was fantastic for what it's worth. I think Harris needs more airtime. Uh, again, shock at the Chris Harris show. is really fucking good. Um, what made yeah, me not watch the first episode is when Chris Harris said he wasn't even on it. Yeah, that's, that's not helpful. Like, like, did, did Harris not get a memo here? It's like, congrats, you've probably put more people off watching the show by saying you're not on the opening episode. Nah, I bet people at the BBC were like, oh, they'll be tuning in for Chris Evans and Matt LeBlanc, whereas all of the viewers were like, nah, we're waiting for Chris Harris. Yeah, all the car nuts are going to be waiting for Harris, and they're like, he, he wasn't there. He was on Extra Gear on BBC Three and on, on, on the iPlayer, which is a shame, because Harris is like the best, the best natural host out of all of them, quite frankly. So, you know... 
I think, to be honest, the reaction was split in several different ways. It was either guys who I had a feeling were going to... It was people who I think were going to crap on the show no matter what happened because it wasn't the same. There were those who tried to like it and just couldn't because of, you know, they just love the old school Top Gear that much. That's fine. Uh, it's going to happen. There are those who just, you know, for me, I feel like it could have been a decent car show. Yeah, all along. I obviously haven't watched the first episode because, you know, the Indy 500 was on. Um, uh, uh, but f from the very outset, I thought this new iteration could be a decent car show. The problem is it's called Top Gear. Yes. Um, and then you also had the the other side with people who were trying really hard, almost to be contrarily positive. Yes. Like to really almost be positive and say how great the show was just to annoy people who didn't like it. And especially those who just didn't, who just hated Clarkson almost with a personal vendetta were just like oh it's great it's not racist anymore and i'm just like it's just not like you're just being petty now to be honest with you you're just like oh well that prick i don't like's out of it so it's automatically a great show i love it now yeah. it's almost like hanging out with someone just because you didn't like one of their mates and they've told them to sod off it's like really you're just kind of childish to be honest with you indeed and it's the nature of a show that popular it's gonna happen so uh yeah, buckle up for the Grand Tour this autumn, coming soon hey. to Amazon Video. Hey. <laughs> and hey, on that bombshell... Oh. If the next episode... No, 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 Top wait, Gear. we don't do that anymore. That's a fact. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, go on, King. If the, if the next episode of Top Gear gets less than 3 million viewers on Twitter, I will go on a fact rant. Yeah. <laughs> Please, do not watch episode 2. I will break your episode 2 now. I am not going to watch it. <laughs> I want this to happen. <laughs> Yes, you heard the man. Don't watch episode two. Uh, and, you know so, and Ryan King is our facts guy. He legit, when he says something is a he's fact. He's Oracle. Yes. You can trust it. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, essentially, I'm glad we were able to end this show on a positive note. And yeah, so am this, I. This is, one of the, I said, well, this is one of the best shows you've ever done, quite frankly, from top to bottom in terms of just humor analysis and just you know we can be serious sometimes too but i'm very proud of this show and again i said it before said it again thanks to chris for being on the show he's been an absolute gent and you're welcome back anytime thank, good sir thank you man uh, thank you man uh shout out to my good friend herman though <laughs> i just he wanted a shout out so i'm just gonna give him Yes, Herman, if you're listening, thank, uh, thanks for listening, my man. Uh, appreciate that. Enjoy your shout-out, because I'm, I'm very good at giving those out on Twitter in the first place, as it is. Um, again, you can follow Chris on Twitter at CookProd1. Follow him again. For, search his name on YouTube. His work is excellent. You will enjoy it, I promise. Thank you very much. Um, you can follow the rest of us, obviously, Adam at AJ underscore Bombersports. Check him out on YouTube as well at Team Bombersports. He's doing great work with NASCAR uh, in, in general as well. If you're a NASCAR fan, absolutely give him a listen. The Classic Race Club is a tremendously good series so go out of your way to see it as well ryan king uh, at the usual at ryan eric king and he's got his own podcast the finish line it will be out will be a new episode of that in the very near future as well because they actually managed to find time to get an episode in hooray Hello. Um, yes and of course you can follow me on twitter at harrison 101 hd but you probably already knew that <laughs> um but um uh, I just want to say again, thanks to everybody for all the support. It, it, this has been, I think, the longest show we've done since our reboot. If you've survived all 104 minutes to this point, then God bless you. Um, from me, Andre Harrison, from Ryan King, Adam Johnson, and Christopher yeah. Kirk, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. And until next time, sayonara. Like I'm not really you are the 
This show is over. Fact.